Hey, everybody, here at The Longest Shortest Time, we are getting ready for our next season of new shows. Those are going to drop on July 13th. We've got so much exciting stuff in the works for you. I'm going to be talking to comedian W. Kamau Bell and his mom. Actually, he he kind of interviews his own mom um, about her dating life as a single mother when he was a kid. He gets all kinds of questions answered. It is, uh, I'll just say it's really, it's really interesting. I've never heard a conversation like this before. I will also be talking to Anna Sale from Death, Sex, and Money, who just had a baby. And next season, we're also going to be spending some time talking about placenta encapsulation. If you've never heard of that, don't worry. We will be filling you in next season on what it all means. So today, we're going to play an old favorite. It's like uh, really, really old. Back from when I was doing this show all by myself. So this episode is an interview that I did with the great Kelly McEvers, who back then was an NPR correspondent in the Middle East. Lots of you probably know her now as a host of All Things Considered. So I'm going to first play that interview from a few years ago. And then we've got an update with Kelly. So you'll hear that at the end. I hope you enjoy this episode and make sure you're subscribed to The Longest Shortest Time in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts so that you catch our next season when it drops on July 13th. Thanks. Ever since I became a mom, I've found myself having these kind of disturbing thoughts. Like, I'll be driving over a bridge and I'll think, what if this bridge collapses? Or this tunnel? Or what if this subway that I'm on blows up? What if the train warning system, you know, with the the arms that come down and the flashing lights and the ding, 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 what if that stops working and a train is coming right when I'm driving over the tracks? I have these thoughts at least once a day, probably many, many more times. And for me, you know, I think it all boils down to, well, if that happened, then what would happen to Sasha? Who would take care of her? Would she be okay? I think um, thinking about death more often once you become a parent is completely normal. I I think it it happens to everybody. But um, for most of us, the likelihood of a violent demise is actually really low. For some mothers, though, for people like my friend and colleague, Kelly McEvers, that danger is very real. Yeah, right, so this is one of those moments where you're, like, speeding down the road in a car with dudes with guns. Kelly's an NPR war correspondent in the Middle East. You might have heard her on the radio. We had kids around the same time. Her daughter, Loretta, is eight months older than my daughter. Kelly recently did this radio documentary with Transom.org called Diary of a Bad Year, A War Correspondent's Dilemma. It's beautifully done, heartbreaking, really. Um, You can find a link to it um, on the blog post for this episode at longestshortesttime.com. But I'll just try to sum up the premise for you. So you might remember a couple of years ago, there were two reporters, Tim Hetherington and Chris Hondros, who died in Libya after taking mortar fire. Tim and Chris's deaths hit Kelly really hard. I would pass my hand in front of my face, and it felt like it was weighted. I couldn't hear right, couldn't finish a sentence. She called this therapist that NPR has on retainer named Mark Brain. And um, he suggests to her that her system is overloaded. Uh, what do you enjoy doing, Kelly? What, 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 what fills your batteries? Spending time with my kid, I said. Her name's Loretta. 
She's a toddler now. Where's your, your daughter? Tell me about your daughter. Gosh, I didn't realize you were a mum. <laughs> she stays with her dad, my husband, in Istanbul, I said, mm. while I'm working in Baghdad. Ouch. <laughs> ouch, ouch, ouch. There's no beating about the bush. I mean, there's no getting away from that, Kelly. That's, that's tough. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, Mark seemed horrified that I was doing this job, even though I have a little kid. I started to lose it. This is why I'm calling, I told him. I think this whole weird reaction to Chris and Tim's death is more than just some overloaded system thing. I think I'm really starting to question everything I do. I mean, why do I do this job? Why do any of us do this job? Kelly does some digging and discovers some research that suggests that one answer to why uh, might be that war correspondents have higher levels of a neurotransmitter called dopamine, which, you know, leads people to seek experiences that involve more risk, more adventure, more adrenaline. And, you know, that's what Kelly's job gives her. You know, every time I hear Kelly on the radio, I try to put myself in her shoes. I wonder what it must be like to do the job she's doing while having a young child. And hearing her documentary answered a lot of those questions. But it also brought up a whole bunch of new ones. So I called her up at her studio in Beirut. I I hadn't talked to Kelly since just before her daughter was born. Um, She gave birth to Loretta four years ago in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. People are always like, oh, my God, that must have been so weird. And it was mostly very normal. I mean, she was born in a very kind of westernized hospital where... You know, they obviously do this all the time. I mean, as Saudi women have an average of seven to eight children. So birthing is in in some ways more a part of that culture than possibly any other because, you know, people are always pregnant and always giving birth. And so it's just completely normal that you would be pregnant or having a child or getting ready to have another child, um, which was actually kind of amazing because it was like, you know, men – you've never seen before on airplanes like walk up and hold your baby if she's crying because they you know they've done it before and they want help and they love children you know it's not this horrible experience on an airplane where you get these you know horrible stares from people like how dare you bring a crying baby (laughs) you know it's more like sympathy like I have seven of those I know what it's like you know here hand her to me while you tie your shoe (laughs) Um, so in some ways it was like the most amazing place on earth to have a baby And I would love to do it here again, you know, if I were going to have a child again. I'm sort of afraid to think about doing it in America Um, just because of all the judging and, the, you know, all that stuff. Well, that was a question I had for you is, like, because you're away um, from here, do you get to, like, avoid the whole judginess factor with between moms? Totally. Yeah, totally. I mean, none of it. I mean, I'm sure there are some people who have a pretty strong opinion about what I do with my life and what I've subjected my child to um, by living here kind of in the middle of the chaos. Um, But they don't talk to me, so (laughs) I don't have to hear it. Uh, And everybody else who lives here is doing it too. So they're not, you know, I mean, obviously, yes, we sit around, we talk about, oh, should we you know, should we send the kids away for the summer? Things are getting kind of crazy. You know, we talk, I mean, several of the other foreign correspondents who I know are women. Um, a couple of them have children. We're all really good friends. We talk about stuff all the time, like, oh, do you Skype or not? You know, like, do you tell them you're leaving or not? You know, 
Um, how much do you tell them? What do you tell them you do? I mean, so we have these conversations all the time, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice. I'm, I'm in a non-judgmental bubble right now. So you're, you're talking about these big picture things of like when you're around and when you're not around and stuff. What about even the smaller stuff like, um, sleep training and whether Mm -hmm. you breastfeed or not, like, is there judginess over that or do you just do what you're going to do? Again, I was in Saudi Arabia when all that was going on, like the first year of Loretta's life. I lived in Saudi Arabia. Breastfeeding, I mean, for upper middle class and upper middle class women, breastfeeding isn't the thing. Of course, like, you know, working class women and women who live outside of the urban centers, I mean, of course, they totally breastfeed. I mean, that's just what you do. I mean, they never pass through this kind of 80s, you know, mechanized, medicalized phase. You know, they're sort of just still in the traditional world where that's what you do. So... You know, to, so to breastfeed in a, in a culture like that in some ways is sort of like the poor person's thing to do. And it's kind of like, ew, you know, it's not like, but nobody would ever say that to me. It's just, a, it's, just, it's just uncool to judge people in that way. So how long, how long were you with her before, after she was born, before you had to go off and, and report somewhere remote? Um, I remember... Going to, I was I I was super militant about breastfeeding her. In fact, I was like, pro- maybe one of the things about being far away from home was that I was like, I read like three books, and then I was like, that's it. You know, I didn't have any peers to talk about this stuff with, so I was like, super militant about things that now I kind of laugh about. I shouldn't have been so militant. I was like, she's only getting breast milk until she's a year old, and no formula, not a drop of formula is going to pass her lips, you know, until she, and even when she starts eating, it was stupid, you know, but I had this crazy thing that I was just going to feed her breast milk. Um, So, uh, you know, I was constantly pumping and freezing and stuff, knowing that I was going to have to run off on a reporting trip. I think she was a few months old when I had to leave, like, on an overnight trip or, like, an all-day trip. And that was, of course, to to the Yemen-Saudi border. Um, Yemen was kind of in the middle of this, like, like civil war thing in the north. And the Saudis had been getting involved with their war planes. And so they took some of us on this kind of embed with the Saudi military for, like, a day. It was all kind of a joke. But it was, like, my first sort of intense, like, I'm not going to be home all day. I hope there's enough frozen milk. Oh, my God, you know, kind of experience. And I was definitely, like, the first time I would, like— was, you know, trying to surreptitiously pump. Like I was at a checkpoint. We were stopped there for a couple hours and I went into this bathroom to pump. And I had this little, you know, black bag. You know, you didn't know what it was, but it was like a little cooler and had my pump and stuff. And then I came out and um, the guys thought that I was like some CIA agent and that like (laughs) the thing in my black bag was like this like, you know, honing device or something or that I was like calling into the mothership and that's why I'd been in the bathroom for so long, you know? So then... (laughs) Like I like pantomimed to them what was ac- what I was actually doing and they were so mortified and embarrassed <laughs> that they had like intruded on this private womanly space that like they just like they they were just they couldn't even look at me for the rest of the day and we ended up getting through this checkpoint. It was really, uh, really funny. That is the best pumping think, at work story I've ever heard. Uh, yeah, right. On the <laughs> on a Saudi on the Saudi Yemen border at a checkpoint. And then yeah. Because I was always wearing this abaya, which is this like, you know, full length black gown thing. So I can just mm-hmm. like stick the pump in there and <laughs> wear a hooter hider and like pump if I was full, you know, and I was in a taxi. But yeah, that totally freaks people out too. Um 
but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's kind of interesting. Like it's this totally, there's certain things that are super sensitive and super taboo, but there are other things that as a foreigner, you can just kind of get away with because you're just the weirdo. People are just like, oh yeah, there's the, that's the weird American doing weird American things. Coming up, Kelly tells me her fantasy about dairy products. Don't go away. (laughs) We're back with journalist Kelly McEvers. Funny thing about me and Kelly, just before we had our daughters, we were in really similar places in our jobs. Because you um, were an editor at Week in America. You were my editor when I was reporting for the show. You left, um, I guess, to go to Saudi Arabia, to go to the Middle East, at least. Basically, yeah, that's when I moved to Saudi Arabia. And then, so then I got your job after you left, and then the show was canceled, and we both had kids at roughly the same time, um, girls, Mm -hmm. and you um, went in this one direction when you had your baby. You went, Mm -hmm. you went like hardcore in the career path, and I went in the opposite direction, which in your documentary. I, don't, I wouldn't say that you call it like the more boring path, but but more the, the more normal path, I would think. Um, normal for sure, yeah. And I think what's interesting is from what I gather from what, what you said in the doc, um, you feel pretty pretty like internally conflicted about this decision you made, and I also feel conflicted and kind of in the opposite direction. And every time I hear wow. you on the radio, I've got to admit, I, or I guess before I heard heard this doc, I, I feel like this twinge of envy, not because I want to be sure. doing at all what, what you're doing. That's not my thing. But just like, you know, this is one of my peers um, who I really respect. And, you know, when it cho- chose the other path and, um, and, and it was sort of a relief for me to hear that you're also conflicted. <laughs> And then I'm totally fantasizing about your life, like, all <laughs> the time. I mean, it'll be different when I actually have to live it, but, like, I think about it all the time. So what's your fantasy of, like, if you um, if you go my route and become, like, the suburban, suburban mom, what do you imagine that that's like? <laughs> it's maybe not in the suburbs. That might be a little bit too tough. But, like, a place where I can ride a bicycle eat organic food. I mean, you just have no idea how much I dream lust for things that seem like completely simple and normal in America. And maybe it's only because I visit America and I see this stuff and I'm like, oh my God, it's artisanal cheese, you know. But um, <laughs> And maybe I'll be bored of it in two weeks. That's going to be the hard part. I mean, I think it's like, you know, six months in, you know, the first six months are going to be like, wow, wow, wow. And then it's, then the hard part's going to kick in where it's just like, that's right. Here I am still sitting at home it's it's one of the most gut-wrenching decisions I've ever had to make and I still haven't even fully totally made it I mean it's like this psychotherapist who I talked to in the piece who I'm still talking to um says it's just it's like quitting drugs like quitting smoking it's like quitting heroin anything and I really now understand it's like so hard Mm -hmm. Um, just to pull away. Just today, there was a car bombing in Beirut, and I, like, got in the car and went because we went right toward it, and we went right to the scene, and we were right in the middle of everything, and that's just what I do. You know, there's going to come a day when that is not true anymore. And so, yeah, how am I going to deal with that? I don't exactly know. 
Um, I think the key for me is trying a job that probably still involves a little bit of the adrenaline, you know, covering something like crime, guns, the border, you know, something along those lines probably makes a little sense to ease me out of this. You know what I wonder? I think like, you know, kids get more and more interactive as they grow out of babyhood. Um, like, you're, so you're saying you're going to you're going to try to give up this one form of, of adventure in your life, um, you know, for your family and then and then like try to create a different form of adventure that will be just as satisfying. Um, but I wonder if Loretta will become more a part of that adventure as she gets older and is more able to kind of like contribute to the adventure. Yeah, I think about that too, right? I mean, I think I'm trying to graft my own personality onto her as we do with our children, like to see her just like take off on a bicycle. Like the first day we were like tubing behind a speedboat on her first fourth birthday. She was like going one handed, like being all like daredevilish. I'm like, see, that's my kid. Um, not fair to her. Need to need to pull that back a little bit. But I mean, so I want to think that she's totally adventurous and like she'll just be a part of this. We're, we're you know, right now we're dragging her to all these things, but hopefully she'll be the one leading the way. But you know, she also may end up being one of those kids who says at one point, can we just not move anymore? You know, like, can we just stay somewhere? Or, you know, maybe she won't even be able to say it. I'll have to figure it out for myself. I've tried to prepare myself for that because I know a lot of kids who, you know, children of diplomats and military people who've moved around a lot. It's not a great life, you know, so I don't, I'm pretty wary of doing that to her. You know, I don't want to force her to be adventurous if she doesn't want to be. But it is something that I want to do. I mean, I if I were alone, if I were single, if I weren't a mother, I would stay here. I would stay in the Middle East. I'd probably stay here for a decade. I'd be one of those people, one of those old timers, if, if I survived, you know, who was still sitting at the bar telling war stories 10 years <laughs> later. But I think like, you know, I grumble about a lot of my everyday stuff um, with my daughter. But like now that I'm talking to you and I think about this, I'm like, being a mom is going to be the most amazing adventure of my life. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you yeah. feel that way too? The psychotherapist said that to me. He's like, you know, you can go into Syria. He's like, your bag is packed. You know that it's like a well-worn path. You know who to call. You know, you've got that down pat. He's like, this thing you're about to do, this is the scary thing. This is the brave thing. This is the big unknown. Yeah. You know, and I think that was one of the most, I mean, God, that was the best thing about when I was pregnant and when I did give birth to her. It was just like, holy crap. This is a whole new level in the video game of like, of, you know, adventure. Like, this is the this is the adventure. This is the real thing. Yeah. Because you really just have no, you can't control it. You know, just, you can, you know, you can sleep train them or whatever. But like, you know, you know, that feeling, I don't know if you had, like, just that inevitability of it all. Like, she just kept getting older. There was nothing you could do, you know. I mean, all of a sudden, you were just face to face with your mortality in a way that you never had been. And you're just like, I, I want this to stop. And you can't, it can't, there's nothing that can stop it. You know, it's just rolling on. And you've got to face it every day. That's pretty cool. Right. You know, like, you are so close to death when you're doing your job in the Middle East all the time. But it's true. Like giving birth, I've, I've, I've never felt closer to death than when I gave never, birth. Nothing. Nothing made me face my mortality like having a child. Nothing. Not, not dodging a sniper, not, you know, embedded with U.S. troops in Iraq. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> 
But that, yeah, having a kid, oh, wow. Yeah, it was like the march of time is upon us. And then the constant fear for their life. Yeah, of course, of course. Like all of a sudden you have to care about something so deeply and so completely that, of course, you think about death all the time, you know? It's just like 40 years of not thinking about death. I mean, it's obviously part of the, you know, halfway point in life as well. But wow, yeah, a kick in the face with death. Okay, so that's where this story with Kelly from a few years ago ended. A few months after I did that interview with Kelly, she packed up her family and she came back home, back here to the United States. She ended her job as a Middle East correspondent. Friday, June 3rd, this is All Things Considered. But of course, you've still been hearing her on the radio. I'm Kelly McEvers. Also coming up, a jury in Minneapolis convicted. It makes me so happy to hear Kelly hosting All Things Considered when I'm driving around in my car, like driving to pick up my kid from aftercare. I'm like, Kelly, tell me the news. I need to know what's going on today. In a minute, Kelly will tell us what it has been like to be back here in the States. Stay with us. We're back with Kelly McEvers. So a few weeks ago, I gave Kelly a call. She was at the NPR West studio in Culver City, California. So um, the last time we talked was three years ago. That's crazy to me. Yeah. And, and you, were, you were just about to leave your Middle East correspondent job. Yep. Mm-hmm. You knew that you needed a safer gig. So what happened? What's been going on since then? Um... All the things, I guess. I mean, (laughs) I think, first of all, like, you know, I've had more time to think about the leaving. Like, I was super unhappy about leaving. Like, it was not a clear-cut decision to leave, as I think about it now. And I think as I thought about it then, like, when I came back, it was not at all something that, like, that I was comfortable with. Like, I really just wanted to be back in the Middle East. Um, and I still do, like every day. I still really? wake up and think I wish that I was there. Yeah. So it wasn't so like I have to have a safer job. They have to leave. Let's leave. It was a lot more messy, I guess, than that. I mean, I think it had a lot to do with the people around me wanting me to have a safer job. And that's fair uh-huh. for them to want that. Um, and it was probably okay that I listened to them when they said that. Uh, the people telling you this were who? My family. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I mean, there was there was a lot of times when my job was perfectly safe, too. Like, you know what I mean? So uh, that those are the parts of the job that I really miss. And so it's been a complicated two and a half years. So what did you do when you when you came back? You left that job, and, and then what? We rented a house in Venice, California. Um, and I think that I spent the whole first month, like I wasn't working yet. I just, like, cooked Middle Eastern food the whole time. Uh. <laughs> it was so sad. Like, it was the saddest thing. What were you cooking? I cooked, like, insane amounts of food, too. Like, I'd be like, come over! And there would just be, like, like, ten huge casseroles full of stuff, you know, like chickens and fate and, like, eggplants and salads and just, like, endless food. And you, you talked also about, um, like, the things you were excited about with coming back to the states like like you couldn't wait to eat artisanal cheeses and ride your bike <laughs> like did you do any of that things stuff that yeah i missed about being overseas yeah totally oh my god yeah i live in california like i was i like got really into juicing and like you know um the ocean and 
Yeah. So, like, I got to do all the fun things that I hadn't been doing for a few years just because I was in a different region of the world. Although, now that I'm here, I'm like, I miss, you know, I miss real hummus. (laughs) So, it's like, no matter where I am, I'm not totally happy with the various foods. (laughs) And, but yeah, like, so yeah, cooking a lot, getting, like, all sad and sort of morose about not being there anymore. And just, like, oppressed by the niceness of LA I think at first like it was just it was kind of disgusting it was just like stopping with the blue skies and the like the happy people it was bad I mean it was good but it was bad it was sort of like (laughs) it just didn't it was not yeah it was not good it's like what is wrong with all you people like I was all whiny and having my own personal issues but Work-wise, I was also, like, trying to figure out what the hell am I going to do with myself? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what do you do after that? Um, And I think part of it is just, like, because when you're in the Middle East, you think that it's the most important story in the universe. And, like, what could possibly be more interesting or important than that? And that was something that took me a really long time to understand um, how to get past once Kelly was here for a while, though, she started finding stories that she did think were as important as covering the Middle East. And I got to say, these stories always seem to have an element of danger or darkness. She did a story about the rise of crime in small towns like Lincoln, Illinois. That's the town where she grew up. She did another story about an HIV outbreak in Indiana. You know, you know those stories where it's just like... You see it, you keep seeing a headline like in your newsfeed, or like you see something go by on TV, or like you see something in the paper, and you're just like, what? How is, why, how? Why is that happening? So Kelly finds those headlines. She asks, why is that happening? And then she goes and she tries to find the answers. She plops herself down in some town for a few days. She embeds herself there, you know, like she did in the Middle East, just for a shorter amount of time. Kelly has turned these stories into a podcast for NPR. You might have heard it. It's very popular. I'm Kelly McEvers, and this is Embedded. And today we're going to Austin, Indiana, a town that back in the spring of 2015 was all over the news. A virus is spreading in Indiana. This is a clip from that story that Kelly did on the HIV outbreak. So in that episode, Kelly visits a house where people are using a painkiller called Opana. They inject it. The needle sharing is actually what led to the HIV issue in their town. And that's a piece of a cigarette filter, yeah? Mm-hmm. Joy puts that cigarette filter right into the liquid. And then they each take turns with their own needle, sticking it into the filter and then pulling that liquid through. Then there's the episode where Kelly goes to Texas to hang out with a biker gang. Motorcycles, big-titted women, and fucking parties. There's the episode where Kelly's embedded with cops on Skid Row in L.A., and she hears gunshots. And there's the one where she goes to El Salvador, the murder capital of the world. Back on the dodgy railroad track. Telling us to be quiet. And, And in those moments, I'm like, no, Kelly, like, Kelly, go home. Like I'm uh. like I'm sitting there listening and I'm like, go home, Kelly. And 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 then I have another thought, which is that I remember that you kind of live for moments like that. And I'm like, Kelly, I wonder if Kelly is having fun right now <laughs> in this uh-huh. moment that makes me feel so scared. And I wonder, like, in those moments, are you feeling scared or excited or both? Well, I think when I say I'm scared, I'm really scared. Yeah. In that one episode. And, you know... I have done work 
in places that are dangerous for many years. And so when people hear me do that, they're like, oh, that's your thing. Um, it's not really a question of liking it, right? Um, so it's not like I'm like, man, where am I going to have the most fun? Like, where's there going to be the most guns? <laughs> you know, like I totally do not think that way. But I'm also like, oh, yeah, I totally like go to a bar with a bunch of bikers. Like that is that sounds kind of interesting. Um, so, yeah, so it's like I think it's it's not so much that I like it. I think I'm inclined toward that kind of situation. Mm-hmm. It's like I just am like really, 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 really curious. And like I'm not super worried about where that curiosity is going to lead me. So how old is your daughter now? She is just about to turn seven. And 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 so how have things been um, with her since the big move? Great. She's happy. She um, – we left when she was four. So she doesn't have a whole lot of memories. It's not like, oh, I miss this thing about Beirut or – you know, I mean, this is really her life. I mean – she was just like, oh, a new school? Okay, right, great. Where's the park? You know, I mean, like that <laughs> was just – she's changed schools a lot in her life anyway. You know, like every year she we because we were in Istanbul for a while and then Beirut. Um, yeah, changing places doesn't seem – she just seems to be one of those kids, whether it's because we did it to her early on or just because she's wired that way. It just doesn't seem to really bother her. But, yeah, she's happy in L.A. Last time we talked, you said you could sort of see hints in her of, like, that she might be someone who enjoys adrenaline rushy type activities. <laughs> um, but, you, but you, like, weren't sure if you were foisting your own personality on her. Right. Do, do you have any more clues she, now? She's kind of – I mean, my, we're, like, we're the yin and yang of worry and not worry, me and my husband. Mm-hmm. For all that I don't worry about things, he, you know, has a healthy – amount of worrying to him. So, and I think she is sort of has both too. I think there are times when she'll like have anxiety about something. I'm like, well, who cares? What's the big deal? You know, but I have to be like, all right, no, be quiet. Yes. Let honor her worries. It's fine. Um, (laughs) But then there are other times when she's just like so brave and we'll just do something insanely brave. And like she, like those gymnast rings, you know, that like adults use where you have to like, like I have to lift her up and then she'll do them. She'll like do them for like two hours and like is just really good at them. She's super brave in the ocean. Um, Yeah. So there's certain things that she'll do. And I think, you know, when kids get older, you worry less about like, or maybe you just start to realize like, oh, right, this doesn't have nearly as much to do with me as I thought it did. Yeah. (laughs) Like three, I think I was, I was really paranoid at the time. I was like, oh no, I'm foisting my, and I was tired and I was stressed out. I was like, I'm foisting my life and my child. And now it's just kind of like, yeah, no, that's, that's just you. That's who you are. And that's awesome. Like, so I think it's, I, I think about it less in terms of like, oh no, she's, she's taking on my bad habits. Somebody asked me recently, like, what if she wanted to go be? a foreign correspondent in the Middle East. I'm <laughs> like, I would, you know, like, what, of course, what, what do I, what do I say? Like, I would have to say yes. You're right. Would be, <laughs> you would have to. It would to. not be pretty. And my mom would just be laughing her ass off the whole way. She'd be like, <laughs> would it freak you out? Of course. Uh, hello. Oh my God. My mom would like be like, finally, you know, my pain, you know? Um, but yeah, you have to say yes. Wow. I so, never thought about that. I, I, I just imagined you would be like, all for it. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, like, I thought, I was like, oh, my first reaction is like, hell no. No way. I'm locking her in a cage. Oh, man. Wait till she's a teenager. All this, I know, all the things I did to my mom. (laughs) It's coming back. You can catch Kelly McEvers' fantastic podcast, Embedded, in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Go there right now, listen to her show, and subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time if you haven't already. Seriously, you are going to love this W. Kamau Bell episode. Make sure you don't miss it or any of our upcoming season. This podcast is produced by me, Hilary Frank, and Abigail Keel. We are edited by Peter Clowney. Our engineers are Pete Karam and the Reverend John Delore. Our theme music is by the Batteries Duo. We get editorial support from Anne-Marie Baldonado and Antonia Acatunde. Thanks to Kelly McEvers, Jay Allison, and Transom.org for giving me permission to air a clip from their doc. Thanks also to Angie Hamilton Lowe, who recorded Kelly's side of the conversation at NPR West. New shows are coming soon, my friends. Find us on Facebook. We post parenting stuff there that we like at 3 a.m. Tweet at us. Our handle is at Longest Shortest. And if you want to be on our show, send us your story right through our website. It can be anything about your kids, anything about your parents. Just make sure you surprise us. Go to LongestShortestTime.com and submit your story. I'm Sarah Thayer. And I'm Susan Orlean. And nothing makes us happier than hearing what makes people cry. On our show, Cry Babies, we talk to comedians, musicians, writers, and other awesome people about what makes them cry. And sometimes we cry too. But it's the good kind of crying. Yeah. Therapeutic. Yeah. Like when James Urbaniak explained why Yellow Submarine is so affecting. I had Revolver and I was listening to that and that came on and suddenly just John Lennon cutting up. And I yellow. And he's just being so funny, and and it just snuck up on me. What's going on? (laughs) I'm crying at Yellow Submarine, the goofiest Beatles song. So listen to Crybabies. Find us on Earwolf, Howl, iTunes, or your favorite podcast app. Stand up. You sing Earwolf? Yeah. This has been an Earwolf production, executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Adam Sachs, and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Hold up. 